Happy Monday, happy Game 7 day. Welcome to Couch Potato Diary. Peter Klein with you. You probably figured that out if you're downloading the show. Either way, thank you for tuning in today. As always, any comments on the show, follow me and send me messages on Twitter and Instagram at PrimetimeKlein, twitch.tv slash PrimetimePK, YouTube uh, at PrimetimeKlein1, and you can email the show couchpotatodiary at yahoo.com. If you enjoy the music, which you definitely do, you can find the producer of this music on Instagram at Tommy Fresh music. So here we are. It is game seven day in the Stanley Cup playoffs. The Toronto Maple Leafs taking on the Montreal Canadiens. At this point, you have a pretty good understanding of how we've got to this point. Montreal coming from 3-1 down, including a fantastic game six victory on home ice in front of a crowd that was really, really cool to see. And the more we've had crowds back, whether it be in pro wrestling last night at Double or Nothing. By the way, Double or Nothing recap up online right now. But whether it be in pro wrestling, whether it be the, the UFC, and now we're seeing it in basketball, and now we are seeing it in hockey as well, you are really understanding, you're really, you're really understanding how much of an impact fans can have on the the on-field product, and, it, and it's been great to see. But th- this is... I think such a major moment for both of these franchises. And look, I understand saying, hey, you know what's important? Game sevens. I'm not exactly redefining the sports talk genre here. But I think this goes more than just, hey, your season is done if you lose tonight. For Toronto, going into this season, everyone has said this is shaping up well. Like, this is Toronto's best opportunity because you don't have a Tampa Bay in your division. You do not have a Boston in your division. And now, one of the threats that you thought might have been coming to your throne with Connor McDavid, he gone. This is this is your best crack at this. And if it doesn't work now, I don't know what you do. Probably the answer is nothing drastic. Um, The the goaltending situation there is going to be an interesting one to get figured out once this season is over. And you you probably just make some of those tinkers on the edges and hope that those are the ones that make it. But like, at, at some point, you do have to wonder, all that money tied up in four guys... Should you just have money tied up in three guys and then see what you can do beyond that? I, I, I still, I want to see this work and I understand it's not fashionable to cheer for Toronto, but I, I just, I, I love the idea of just, Hey, get as many talented guys as you can and just try to make that work. And Toronto has done that, but it's the whole making that thing work. And, and this would just be another step in questioning the, the, the Toronto process and wondering what this Leafs team has to do to get over that hump. Because this was supposed to be the hump that was the easiest one to get over. And if they fall tonight in another one where you blow a series lead to a team that's supposed to be less than you, I I think some very, very, very difficult decisions and very difficult discussions have to be had in Toronto. And they also have to be had with Montreal. And I understand, like, they are coming into this series as the underdog, but do not let Montreal's underdog status in this series fool you. This was a year of high expectations for the Montreal Canadiens. They win the offseason with the Josh Anderson trade. You knew going in that Anderson 
if you get him at 100% of his powers, he can be very good. And you acquire Tyler DeFoley on what I felt was a pretty team-friendly contract. And you keep that blue line together. That was probably the best blue line on paper in the North Division this season. And then you get off to an amazing start. And then the wheels kind of fall off for Montreal. And now I'm just doing a Montreal season recap. But you fire the coach, you change the goalie coach, you, you make all of these moves that indicate this is an important season. You can't then say, ah, yeah, but Toronto was really good. So, I mean, tough, tough break getting that. Because, no, it doesn't work that way. You, you don't just get to change your expectations based on opponent. You, you knew, for a, we've known for a while Toronto's very, very good. And we've known all season long that there was a potential to have to face Toronto at some point. Like, the, this, this whole notion that, oh, well, I mean, sure, you're all right, but... Toronto's good like that, that that is such a loser mentality and it happens so many times in sports like well what do you expecting to compete with this great team like yeah that's kind of the point if you just try to time up being great while everyone else sucks there's always going to be someone else so for Montreal I I think that this is a bit of a fork in the road moment because I think that this you lose this game tonight Mark Bergevin probably fired because what else like he's it's it's just felt like it has been a chips in the middle season for Montreal all year long and to have it not to to have it end in the first round I think probably like I don't know what other bullets Mark Bergevin has in the chamber I wonder if that then means a coaching decision and then what do you do from there Montreal is in a, an interesting spot because you have some good young pieces to to build around. Kakeniemi gets his first big moment with the overtime winner, and Cole Caulfield is obviously going to be something. And I like Suzuki as well. Like there are there are young pieces on this Montreal team that you can appreciate and that you can see developing. But also Shea Weber has been so much better late into his contract than anyone could have anticipated, and Carey Price is still, maybe not at the peak of his powers, but you are still getting very good goaltending out of Carey Price, and it seems like exiting in the first round is a waste of all of that. So for Montreal, I understand they are the underdogs going into this series, and it's been a cool story for them to get back to Game 7. If it doesn't go well in Game 7 tonight, then I, I do think they are a team that also has to ask those difficult questions as that this was not supposed to be a season that ended in this fashion. I, I can't wait. It, it's And I, I'm being a little bit hard on Montreal right now, but credit Montreal for getting back in this series because it, it just, I, I said it after game four, Toronto just looks like the better hockey team. Like the, the Toronto Maple Leafs are just better at the sport of hockey than Montreal. And the Habs have been able to, to, to come back. And also in that, credit Toronto as well. A couple of those games, especially game six in Montreal, the Bell Center is just absolutely rocking. And the Habs take a two nothing lead in the third period. The Leafs very well could have folded up shop in that, in that game. And they didn't. And full marks to them for not but you start to see then some of the flaws of the roster as the game goes into overtime where young defenseman makes a turnover, slower defenseman can't make up for it, and it's in the back of your net. I think Bogosian's been a hundred times better than I was expecting him to be in this series, so I'm not just putting it all on him. It, like, 
for sure don't have your guy turn the puck over. But you you see a bit of the crack on that blue line, and now there's another one with Muzzin out tonight. What does that mean with Sandin checking in for Toronto? This series has been a little bit closer than I thought after that game four, and no Muzzin tonight. It, it, it's certainly not nothing, so we'll see. I, I still officially predict Toronto is going to win this one, but man alive, if they don't, I have no idea what the Leafs do in this offseason. Once again, they will be just so much intrigue in the North Division, really, as we head into this offseason. And I understand that this is the the first and last year of the North Division, but you think about it from the, the Canadian teams that we'll be watching going into this offseason. I, I think the Flames are going to make some type of a big move, move, whether it be addition or subtraction, that they have some decisions to make. You have Vancouver, who have the two cornerstones of their franchise, or two of the cornerstones of their franchise, that they have to lock up to long-term contracts. What do they end up doing? Edmonton gestures aggressively at the world around him. What are they going to do about all of this with Connor McDavid once again you know, not getting to see the second round of the Stanley Cup playoffs. And then you have the loser of this series will have some decisions to make as well. So it's going to be an interesting offseason for those of us here up north watching the hockey. But either way, that this is going to be just absolutely so much fun tonight. Game 7, Toronto against Montreal. Boston, uh, some other notes from the weekend. Boston taking on the New York Islanders. The Islanders are in tough in this. And Credit them, because it, it just, it has to be exhausting playing them. And you, you saw that got to the Pittsburgh Penguins, where Pittsburgh would get a lead, and then it would go away. And they just were never able to build any kind of momentum. And they tried to do that against Boston, but this Bruins team has seen that before. Not that Pittsburgh hadn't, but th- this is a series for the Islanders where their big thing is they just outwork you, and you have to bring a couple lunch pails to outwork the Boston Bruins. The problem is the Bruins then have significantly more talent than the New York Islanders have. And when that talent works hard, it's just tough to beat. And you, you see that in this first series, and it's Bo- or in this first game. And it's Boston's top players with Pasternak getting the hat trick. But it, it's how he gets, it, it's how Boston gets all of their goals, where it's a puck battle one, couple quick passes, and Pasternak scores. And then it's another puck battle one, quick shot on goal, Pasternak gets the rebound and scores. Like it is just, it, it does not take long to go from a one battle to a high quality scoring chance for the Bruins. And, and again, even on the McAvoy goal late in the game where Richie wins a battle, goes to the front of the net, creates an opportunity. Boston doesn't mess around a whole lot. And uh, I think for the Islanders, they're, they're going to be in this series. I, I think 5-2 is probably going to be the widest margin we see in this series. But at, at some point, the hard work only gets you so far, and I, I do feel like the the distance of that, fa- that that hard work is going to take them is this series, and no further. Tampa Bay and Carolina is going to be fun as hell. We knew that going in, and the crowd in Carolina shows up for game one. That game was a blast. The pace was phenomenal. It felt like what you want playoff hockey to be, at least what I want playoff hockey to be. I understand there are some who want it to be punching and all of those sorts of things, but that that was a wildly entertaining hockey game, and I don't think a lot separates them. The one area that Tampa Bay has the biggest check mark in is between the pipes, and you see it show up here. I thought Nadelkovich had a good game, but that one goal cannot happen. And it ends up being the game winner. And and you see, Vasilevsky was phenomenal 
in game one. And if Carolina's goalie is only going to be really good, they're, they might lose this series. Like that, that is the biggest check mark that any team has. And for it to show up in game one is going to have Carolina, I think, questioning things a little bit. But I, I, I think this series is destined for seven. I think it is going to be an all-timer of a, a very good series. Sebastian Ajo was on fire in game one. And like defensively, I thought they played really well. Tampa Bay comes out fire. Like this was just, it was two teams very evenly matched. And because of that, you cannot have those types of goals go in that Barkley Goodrow ends up scoring. So, and we saw it talk about the Islanders Pittsburgh series. You saw what a bad goal could do. And it happened a lot for Pittsburgh and they, they just eventually were not able to, to bounce back from it. But that, that goaltending edge that Tampa Bay has, it only shows up for one moment, but one moment might be all it takes in this series. They are so, so close. I I think Carolina bounces back. I think they probably take game two, but th- this series, the, the margins are just so, so thin on both sides. Lastly, Colorado with a, a dominant win over Vegas. Like that, that was just a poor outing for Vegas and a very, very good Colorado night. Like Vegas caught puck watching a couple of times and the weak side is just left wide open on way too many opportunities. You, you take care of the puck carrier, but then everyone else around them is open and you just see that a lot. And then that is to take nothing away from Colorado because the puck movement they had was art. That, that was as dominant as you can get and just as perfect as you can get for Colorado. Vegas is still very much in this series, but I, I I thought Vegas could win this series. I still think they might be able to, but man, Colorado's good. And I, I had said for a couple of years that Vegas was just a perfectly constructed roster. I'm I'm starting to believe, Col- well, I, I've definitely believed for a while. Colorado was definitely in there as well. And this is with no Nazem Kadri as he deals with his suspension stuff. But yeah, Colorado... I wish I had more analysis for you. Colorado was just really freaking good. Like my my only notes from this one are holy shit avalanche because the puck movement and just everything about it was crisp and perfect. I think Vegas probably, I mean, they can't defend worse. So they Vegas comes out with a bit of a better defensive game plan. But if this turns into a shootout, Colorado is winning the series. Like Vegas, whatever it is about the postseason, the, the goal scoring just kind of dries up for this Vegas team. If this turns into a Wild West shootout, then Colorado's winning this one in four or five. The music that you hear on Couch Potato Diary is provided by Wasted Talent. You can find them on Instagram at Wasted Talent with X's where the A's would be. Going to kind of rapid fire some NBA thoughts from the weekend. I am already getting ready for Milwaukee against Brooklyn. That that one's going to be made official tonight with the Nets taking on the Celtics. And this is where I love the sport of basketball. And this is, you you could kind of tell from my interview with Marat uh, last week how I, I love the matchup games. And you see it in hockey, but not to the extent that you see it in basketball. It's a much more one-on-one sport. And I'm so fascinated how Brooklyn is going to be able to maneuver around some of the different looks that Milwaukee can throw at them. And credit Milwaukee, like that was a, a big mental barrier to get over against the Miami Heat in the first round. And that, that game one win 
was so important to just put the bubble behind Milwaukee. And then they just came out and big brothered the Miami Heat. Just absolute dominance from the, the Milwaukee Bucks. No answers for Miami to the point now where you start to wonder where Miami actually is at this point. Because that bubble situation was kind of set up well for, for that kind of a team. A team that was very close-knit and was just willing to outwork everyone. They did not let the distractions of the bubble take over. But now you're out of that environment. And I, I still think Miami's going to be a good team. And I, I think they have the potential to be a great team. But I do think... That is a destination that could very much use a Kyle Lowry and just someone else to get you some buckets when you need to. But this Milwaukee team is a tough one to get buckets against. We've always known that about them. And now you're seeing a little bit more shooting. Forbes had a very good night in Game 4. Brooke Lopez can be a shooter, but he can also be a down-low force. And I think that's going to be more of where they're going to want him in this series. And they were able to bully Bam a little bit as well. And that was not necessarily a matchup I anticipated them being able to win. But I, I think some of the different looks they can throw at Brooklyn is going to be interesting. And we're not seeing what, like we are seeing this Brooklyn team at their absolute peak of the powers because Boston is offering little resistance. That was incredibly frustrating to watch from a Boston perspective. And you can see even early in the game, Tatum is feeling it early and, and Smart hits a couple of threes and everything is going right for Boston and they're still only up four. And it was, oh boy, th this is going to be a problem here. And even like Tatum hits a bucket, I think they go up nine and he almost has the body language of someone who is losing. Like Boston just knows they're losing in this series, but still you have Harden out there and he's the only member of the big three who's out on the floor and you're just trying to guard him one-on-one, -on -one, and then the help defense doesn't come when he eventually just blows past Fournier. Like, you have to understand he is the focus, and if someone else on that bench unit beats you, then, well, shit, hey? But, like, that that's just... Milwaukee, I think, is going to do a better job of defending those sorts of lineups, and I'm interested at some of the different matchups that Milwaukee can present against Brooklyn. Like, the, the one that we are focused on, obviously is going to be Giannis going up against KD. But I think you can get some minutes with Tucker on KD. You move Giannis to James Harden, and then you can put Holiday on Kyrie. And now you're starting to think, okay, Harris or Green, one of you guys beat us, or Blake, or, or someone along those lines. So I that those are the, the matchups that I'm looking for in this upcoming second round series. For Boston, uh, like I said before, it's It's been incredibly frustrating to watch them this season. I, I still think there's a lot of talent on this team, but like Kemba is not the Kemba that they need. And Tatum looks like a superstar. Smart, I don't know what you do with him. Brown certainly would be a help in this series. But for Boston, a team that looked like right there and, and a team that looked like they could be someone who's hanging around a championship picture for a long time. All of a sudden, they're kind of an example of how quickly things can fade away in the NBA because th this was a team that was built perfectly after the, the KG and Paul Pierce trade to the Brooklyn Nets. And now, I don't want to say it's falling apart around them because they, they still made the playoffs and they still have a, a very good young superstar to build around in Jason Tatum. But it doesn't look like they're as close as they thought they were going to be. The Utah Jazz taking on the Memphis Grizzlies and... You can see some of the issues that Donovan Mitchell fixes. Like, he just opens up 
so much of that offense when he is in there and like Rudy, Rudy Gobert can be an afterthought and he just, we talk about it in hockey a little bit, but everyone just kind of slots into their position so much better when Donovan Mitchell is out there. Then you get Bogdanovich and Connolly can be secondary scorers instead of primary. We need you guys to get it done. And Gobert can just be a guy who cleans things up. The big matchup in this series has been, I think, Gobert kind of shutting down Jonas Valanciunas. We saw how important JV was in the the, the kind of the, the play-in games and those offensive rebounds and those second chance opportunities. There are just there are very few guys like Jonas Valanciunas in the NBA now. The problem is Utah's got the best one in Rudy Gobert. And and that's just, that's taken away, it's taken away so much of what Memphis can do. They are still in this series. They have shot the ball infinitely better than I was expecting them to from distance. Guys like Brooks have been shooting very well, but the Utah Jazz, when Mitchell is out there, you just see there are so many weapons that can beat you from three. And they just three balled the Memphis Grizzlies to absolute death. In that game. And the same thing happened with Portland and Denver. It's it's what happened in game one, and it happens again in game four, where there's just more scoring options for Portland. And when they're rolling, Denver just can't keep up with only Jokic and Porter Jr. And you, you get the occasional other stuff from Compazzo. And look, Jokic is obviously the MVP of the NBA this season and is one of the most talented offensive players this game will have ever seen by the time he is done. However, he's not enough on his own when Portland has McCollum and Powell and Carmelo Anthony going. They didn't really have Lillard going, and they were still able to just overwhelm the Denver Nuggets. That that three-point defense needs to be much improved going into this one, but again, something that would concern you. If someone other than McCollum and Lillard gets going, this team is really difficult to defend. And now with the addition of Norm Powell, who... I think is someone who certainly has his flaws as an NBA player, but there is no question that he can get going and he has so much confidence in himself, even when he's not going, but he he is someone who can get on a roll and Carmelo Anthony offensively is someone who can get on a roll. Never have him guard Jokic again because that looked ugly a little bit, but this Portland team is really tricky to defend. Nurkic, I haven't even mentioned Nurkic yet, and he can be a bit of a load to deal with down low. There are just so many weapons on this Portland team that give Denver problems. I think this is, I mean, it's obviously going to be a long series. It's at least going six. It's tied at two, but I'll be interested to see these adjustments now that Denver tries to make, because they did pretty well in two and three, but they lost it again going into game four. The Phoenix Suns, with a real good win over the LA Lakers in Game 40, even that series up at two, and now you start to question things for the Lakers again because AD is out, although you weren't getting a whole lot from him, at least in the first 20 minutes that he played in Game 5, another night where he was 2 of 7, another night where he's very passive, and uh, like he, he is never going to be just absolutely kick your ass guy on the post, but he just, he settles for way too much. And the, the Phoenix Suns on a night where Booker's not lighting it up, 18 points is all you get from Booker. And it's not like he had a bad night. It's just, you get big nights from campaign and you get a big night from bridges offensively and defensively. And it looks like Paul is while compromised is at least more comfortable now with what he has to work with. And he has been able to, to like, he, he is just so important to have out there. And if he's contributing at all, and last night or yesterday afternoon, he was sensational, I thought. And all of a sudden now, 
Phoenix is a good Paul and a good Booker game away from pulling off this upset. And I, I've said it before in this series, and I will say it again. LeBron just needs to take these games over. And you, you, you just, you don't get that sense. You get flashes, and maybe I am being a bit too hard on him because he's coming back from, from an ankle injury. And he just doesn't have it in the gas tank to be takeover guy in the first round. I think they were kind of hoping they'd be able to get through this without it. But we haven't seen, uh, aside from some flashes... AD take a game over like when, when it's going well for the Lakers it just goes well but when Phoenix starts to get on that roll there just hasn't been enough of a stop from the Lakers to just hey we're better than you we're going to dominate here and th like there just there hasn't been enough of that and now it is on LeBron for game five to try to do that because that 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 is how the Lakers are going to win this series now you're not going to have your starting five just oh well look at this we have six guys in double figures that's not how it's going to be it's going to be LeBron gets 35 and no one else on Phoenix it doesn't matter what they are doing for Phoenix I, I think you the, the one thing you kind of take away from this game the the bench minutes need to be I think restricted a little bit and it's tough because you do have Chris Paul who's a little bit banged up and you're already asking so much from Booker and, and you're asking probably at their max guys like Bridges and guys like Campaign but when the starters were out there for Phoenix they just killed them I, I don't have the stats in front of me but the the Phoenix starting unit line against the, the the starting unit for the Lakers and I get they lost AD but that wasn't close and then it wasn't close the other way because the the Phoenix bench got crushed early on anyway and that's what let the Lakers back into it so that that would be a bit of an adjustment I would see but 80 out for game five it is a big blow but they need him to really get his stuff together if and when he comes back in this series because it, it seems pretty clear LeBron doesn't have it in the tank coming off of that injury to just be dominant take this series over guy if he does then again the series is over but we haven't seen it in these two losses and there were times where it felt like he could just like all right this is kind of getting out of control let me put both hands on the steering wheel and take this thing and he hasn't and that's been a little bit frustrating or has to have been at least a little bit frustrating to watch from a Laker perspective but overall it's been it's been fun these playoffs so far and the the one that's kind of caught the most drama is now a series that is tied at two with Dallas and the Clippers now all square after the, the home team has yet to win a basketball game in this series and you are starting to see how much kind of confirmation bias plays into things after game one the whole this Clippers team can't get it done in the playoffs narrative took over real quick and then not only do you have a narrative that w was allowed to fester after a first game you get it kind of confirmed in game two and it's oh boy the wheels are falling off who do you trade Paul George to it wasn't a should they it was they should what can you get can you get Tyler Hero how do you like how do you work this out from a from a, a Clippers standpoint and then you kind of see in games three and four oh well, if Luka isn't going to be Superman, Dallas doesn't really have a whole lot. Like, congratulations, KP is hitting a couple of mid-range shots, and Finney Smith and Tim Hardaway Jr. are hitting from three. But this is what we talked about after the first couple of games, where if you're Dallas, if you, or sorry, if you're the Clippers, if you can keep Luka to just superstar and not greatest player of all time levels, you're probably winning the series, because Kawhi has been phenomenal, and Paul George will have his moments, there doesn't seem to be much of an answer for Zubots down low, which was not a sentence I was anticipating saying about the series. But 
if in that game one, Luca was phenomenal, and then you double team him, and then Finney Smith and Hardaway Jr. and those guys are hitting open threes. And if they're going to do that, then you're shit out of luck. But you, you can't take everything away. And in these last couple of games, Luca has just been very good, and the other guys aren't good enough to step up. So if that trend continues, the Clippers avoid a scare, but I don't think they're going to avoid those hard conversations. And then you get a couple of them in Dallas. Um, we'll have time to do the the obit of whoever loses this series after all is said and done. But that, that series is going to be the most intriguing for however long that it goes. As far as tonight is concerned, like the 76ers are just going to finish their series. I, I don't have the line in front of me, but I, I just, I picked Philadelphia minus whatever the, the point spread is. Joel Embiid has been an unstoppable force in this series. The one bright spot for Washington, I think that you can take from this, like Beal and Westbrook are what they are. Um, Beal is extremely talented. Westbrook still thinks he is. They kind of get on the young guys a little bit more than you would like. I think they have something in Gafford. I, I, I've kind of been a a sneaky fan of it. Like he, I, I don't think he is the third of a big three or anything like that. But as far as guys who can just give you some minutes as bigs, Sweet. Yeah, I, I think they, they have a little bit of something-something there with him. Utah-Memphis is going to be very interesting tonight to see how the Grizzlies respond with a, a couple of rough ones with Donovan Mitchell there. And credit Memphis. I, I forgot to say this in my other one. But Utah gave them every opportunity to just fold in that game. And they just didn't. And credit Memphis's mentality for that. In the NHL, we talked about Game 7. That's going to be fun. To see where the... Um, I guess priorities lie with this one. It is a game seven Montreal against Toronto. And that game's on CNBC in the States where Boston and the Islanders get the NBCSN um, treatment. So that, that'll be, that that's a little bit funny. I'll be interested to see how the Islanders are able to respond, but I, I do kind of feel like this is a very, very good matchup for Boston in this series. Just a couple other uh, random sports notes. Uh, congratulations to Chelsea on the Champions League win. Was able to watch that one on Saturday. Uh, that was one where I don't think the stats completely tell the story, or at least one of the stats, because the, the possession ends up being 60-40 for Man City. It did not feel like that at all in that match. And the, the shots are a little bit closer. I think it was 8-7, maybe in favor of, uh, of Chelsea. But Man City was just not able to to really get anything generated off of and like you get that late push obviously but even then there there was a couple there were very few like gasp chances so Chelsea coming away with a, a win in a, a pretty good season of oh, very good season they end up getting the Champions League but now we get into Euro and I cannot wait for Euro in tennis as I was recording this Naomi Osaka has withdrawn from the French Open. She's going to take some time away from the court, apparently does not want to be a distraction in this tournament, and I, th- this whole story has been just so weird, saying she doesn't want to talk to the media. I understand, and, and the, the tricky part about this is that most of the people talking about it, and the, the loudest voices who will be talking about this, are going to be media people who... Just, you know, their jobs kind of depend on on this sort of thing. And I understand I'm coming at this from a different spot because I've never been a reporter. 
I like basically the, those scrums or whatever for me are just used for four or five minutes to, to help me fill time. Cause generally not a lot is said in those. And I, again, I get from a reporter standpoint, having the access in the locker rooms is very important and yada, yada, yada. This isn't that though. And like, what, what is Osaka going to say in any of these that is going to be absolutely uh, a game changer, but to fine her and to threaten her with, with greater sanctions, it, it just seems like a bit of an overreaction. It feels like there should be a bit more of a discussion had about the importance of media obligations to put yourself out there, but also this whole narrative around her saying no to the media stuff, I feel like it got blown remarkably out of proportion, and now one of the more exciting names in the sport isn't going to be participating in one of the biggest events on that sports calendar and that this has been the biggest story around this tournament the for the entire time and that is not a good thing so i guess congratulations to those who thought this was an absolute disgrace that she wasn't going to speak to the media because now you're going to get your wish because she's not speaking to anyone at all because she's out of the tournament it just it seemed like a substantial overreaction to something that probably should barely have been reacted to at all but hey that's sports these days and last one i know friday is the the more combat sports centered show but this is the last show we'll have before the start of the ultimate fighter and a lot of mma fans are going to roll their eyes at it i i a from a nostalgia standpoint it's cool the ultimate fighter is the most important show in the history of combat sport, or not in combat sport, sorry, but in the history of the UFC to, because of what it meant to, to launching the, the UFC. No, no single show has been so important to any sport than this one was to the Ultimate Fighting Championship. But also, it is a good way to just get fans invested in some people. And it is not, when you come off of the show, you do not get a very friendly contract coming out of it. I understand that. Like there are certainly flaws with it. You are not necessarily creating superstars, but if you're just trying to get people invested in fighters on your mid card, this show is a fantastic way of doing that. So I, I just wanted to state for the record that I am pro the ultimate fighter. That's going to do it for this episode of Couch Potato Diary. Thank you very much for the download again. If you have any thoughts on these shows, I, I very much want to hear from you guys. Send me a, a tweet or a DM or whatever. Uh, Twitter.com slash PrimetimeKline. Same thing goes for Instagram. Twitch.tv slash PrimetimePK. We're now putting up some of our uh, interviews on YouTube. You can find me PrimetimeKline1 on there. Or you can just email the show at CouchPotatoDiary at Yahoo. If you can't get enough of me, we have a general history podcast, myself and my wife. New episodes come out every Wednesday morning. And again, new music you're listening to right now, provided by Wasted Talent. Enjoy Game 7 tonight, ladies and gentlemen, and we'll talk to you guys on Wednesday. We're out.